And I guess it's a feeling that I hadn't had for a long time because I felt like I had to pretend to be someone I wasn't and, you know, had learned to hate a lot of things that I now love about myself. My name is Will Small. I'm a husband and a dad. And for the sake of my family and my community, I want to be a healthy man. Images on magazines would lead me to believe that means having ripped abs and a good paycheck. But I'm not satisfied with that story. Are you? Join me and my guests as we explore the idea of healthy manhood in the modern world. This is the Mankind Podcast. One of my deep convictions is that a conversation about manhood is actually not just for men. Because how we live has an impact on all of those around us. Our children, our partners, our friends, our neighbours. So we need many voices at the table when we talk about who we are and who we could be. This episode highlights the impact we can have on others without even realising it. It is not a comfortable listening experience, but it is a deeply important one. My friend Jack grew up as a boy, but from very early on, didn't feel like the mould fit. Jack's journey of embracing who they are is a powerful picture of both courage and pain. Jack shares experiences and statistics that are really troubling and unjust. And when I listen to stories like Jack's, I want to do what I can to help create more acceptance and inclusion for people who are pushed to the edge of our society. This episode does contain some especially heavy content, including us touching on suicide. Please take care of yourself while listening and reach out to Lifeline or Beyond Blue if you need to talk to someone. Stories like this can change how we live. So make the space to listen well. Jack, so good to see you and great to be able to have a conversation on mankind. Since I met you, which was probably like, I don't know, six years ago maybe now or some distant time in the past. Yeah. It feels like you've been on a journey that from point A to point B, if point B is, you know, this conversation right now has been a really significant, I guess, metamorphosis or transition. But in many ways, what looks like a significant change on the outside, uh, you know, I'm interested in hearing, but for you probably just feels like more of a becoming who who you have been all along. Yeah. So I want to unpack yeah. that a bit, but I would just love to start with you introducing yourself in the most authentic way that you can for anybody listening. Yeah, no worries. Well, um, my name is Jack. My pronouns are they, them, and I identify as non-binary and trans femme. And uh, just to position myself in this conversation, and I'm thinking that probably there are a number of listeners that would be in a similar position to me. I don't have anywhere near as much experience as I would like to have in terms of these kind of conversations and just, you know, my kind of relationships with people who are in the queer community. And so I guess I would classify myself as somebody who has an active desire to engage in more healthy ways, to become more aware of my language and my behavior, to help create, I guess, my desire, which I've said a number of times on this podcast, is for my children to be able to grow up and know that there is room for them to become whoever they are 
without being and and right from the beginning you know i see the journey of cultural molds and boxes that may or may not fit and so i want to kind of help to have as many conversations as possible that give permission for people to become who they are Mm. and so i'm really stoked that you're willing to share some of your experiences i've learned personally from your story and i'm sure other people will as well but to begin with i'd love to just go back to when you were a kid what was growing up like for you what were some of the cultural kind of expectations or stories and maybe ones that in particular from a young age you felt like didn't quite fit? Yeah, well, um, I was assigned male at birth um, by my parents and by society. Um, But my parents, in particular my mother, was very critical of classic gender roles um, and very um, big on encouraging me to Um, not be restricted by that label of being um, a boy or a man. Um, And so I remember very early on just feeling comfortable being who, um, being authentically me um, and not feeling super restricted by um, these ideas of boy or man. Um, But, you know, as you start to grow and become more involved outside of your little bubble of your family, you start to kind of learn and realise that there are a large number of expectations um, on you and um, very particular sort of characteristics and, um, I guess, stereotypes expected of you um, because of your gender. Um, And I remember, you know, um, for example, very early on, maybe even in preschool, I got invited to a party and it was a dress-up party and I was like, I'm going to go as a fairy. And to me that was, you know, not weird but when I went to that party I started to realize that the people around me um, thought that was odd and so you know so began the journey of kind of realizing that um, I, I in a lot of ways couldn't actually authentically be who I was without sticking out like a sore thumb or you know eventually experiencing a lot of bullying mm. um, and yeah as I um, grew up particularly in, in primary school, um, those the bullies became a lot harsher. Um, and for a long time, I definitely tried to continue to live authentically. And um, my, my mum was very, very supportive in encouraging me to walk to the beat of my own drum. Um, but there were some, you know, um, very nasty people around. And I soon learned that in order to actually survive, um, I had to start to conform. And so Towards the end of, of primary school um, and particularly starting high school, um, I began to become, I guess, quite fascinated and quite um, focused on being as masculine as I could and blending in as best I could. Um, I remember even in high school just um, being very conscious of the way I walked, um, even the way I talked, and being very ashamed of, of the strangest little things that made me feel like I wasn't um, a man. Mm. I guess. Yeah. Wow. I guess what stands out to me is that it's just so obvious that from a young, young age, you had a sense of who you were not being okay in some sense. And that Mm. just feels just tragic. Do you have examples of, you know, you spoke a little bit about how your mom was such a key role in, in actually helping to create some, some sense of, 
who you were was okay. Do you, do you remember particular things she did or language she used or yeah. things that, that actually really helped with that? Yeah, so there's a phrase I'll never forget. Um, that's one of the earliest things I remember my mum saying to me, and that was you can be whatever you want a boy to be. Um, and for, like, the 90s, that's so progressive. Mm. Um, or for the late 90s, early 2000s, that's so, so progressive. Um, and that really set me up with a lot of confidence to be who I was. Um, yeah, and I remember um, one of one of the first, when I had, when I sort of started to gain awareness of the fact that I would eventually be a grown-up myself, I would say that um, what I wanted to be when I grew up was to be a mum. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, wow. And you mentioned that when you were kind of in that high school stage and maybe dealing a little bit more with that um, disconnect with what, what the world around you felt like you needed to be, you kind of maybe played up the masculinity. What, yeah. what were some of the things that you did to, you know, embody masculinity that, that really wasn't true to you but felt like it was kind of performing the right role? Yeah, so um, I guess um, when I started high school, most of my friends were girls. It was how it had always been for most of my life. Um, and um, particularly as puberty started and as all of our bodies started changing, um, I definitely felt a lot more like I didn't fit with um, those girls I, or maybe I, I didn't feel welcome or like I was an imposter, I guess, probably is the best term, an imposter. Um, and I guess, um, at that point, yeah, I realized that I need to spend more time around men and that, um, you know, uh, that's what was expected of me. And so I surrounded myself with more guys. Um, and I guess just started to kind of copy behavior. Um, and in that time of adolescence and particularly in, in, um, high school, there's a lot of toxic masculinity, um, just, you know, things like, um, for me, some weird obsessions was, having a deep voice and not sounding effeminate and walking in a way that looked masculine and not, you know, soft or mm. something like that. It was really weird. And um, also, you know, really dialing down my love for colourful clothes and different clothes. I'd started shopping at, you know, the most plain Jane stores I could and um, basically trying to copy um, what my friends were wearing. And I remember, I think it was actually in late primary school, but I remember one of the cool guys taking me on as his project to try and make me more of a guy, I guess. Very, wow. very, very um, interesting that that was happening so young, but yeah. Over the last couple of years, uh, you, you can probably, you know, fill in the kind of exact timeline, but you've come out as gender non-binary and probably have, uh, like I was sort of saying at the beginning, probably been on a process that from the outside world looks like you've changed significantly when really what I'm hearing is that you've actually walked the path back to yourself mm-hmm. and that it's not like you've changed into something new. It's that you've stopped maybe pretending to be something that's that's not true and you've actually returned to who you are, which I think is a beautiful, courageous and, and wonderful thing to do. Could you share a little bit of the story about doing that, you know, courageous work? Uh, what were some of the key moments that led to um, doing that? And how, how long was the process? 
Yeah, so when I left high school, um, I went straight into uni. Um, and I guess a big thing in university is learning how to critically um, examine things and um, rethink a lot of um, things you may have taken for granted. Um, and part of that, I guess, was also my um, Christian faith. And so I really began to deconstruct a lot of the world around me um, and perhaps um, allow myself to re revisit feelings that I may not have, um, I guess, let in. Um, and I think uh, when I went into high school, I probably was, sorry, when I went into university, I was probably quite a conservative person. Um, and as I challenged that view and began to become um, a lot more, um, I guess, expanding my worldview, becoming um, affirming towards um, queer identities, um, I began to learn a lot more about different gender identities um, and perhaps started to feel that I resonated with some stories that I was reading. Um, and I guess all through all through high school, I um, always took the opportunity to um, uh, kind of um, explore and push the boundaries on the gender binary. So um, I had I had multiple parties and things that would give me the chance to dress um, femininely or as a woman. Um, and those, I guess, moments I look back on as feeling quite authentically myself, even though it was kind of under the guise of a joke. Um, so I guess as I started to deconstruct my world view, um, it became safe for me to examine those feelings again. Um, and I guess my fiance, my now fiance, Monica, had also recognised those parts of me as someone who knew me best. Um, and encouraged me to think about um, what ways I might wish to, um, I guess, re-explore my gender identity. Um, and so at first, probably, um, it was probably early on, reasonably early on in university, I realised that I resonated with the non-binary identity um, and came out, I guess, to my um, partner Monica and a few people around me um, but apart but nothing really changed um, in terms of the way I dressed or the way I acted or anything like that my pronouns didn't change um, but it was the first step to me allowing myself to kind of re-explore who I was mm. um, and Monica definitely helped push me to try new things so whether that be trying on a colorful jacket um, you know or um, you know, maybe um, putting on a pair of her pyjamas, as strange as that sounds, um, I began to kind of push the boundaries in regards to my um, external appearance and began to kind of match my inward feelings with how I presented to the world. Um, and that was a very, very rapid um, snowball because it was just so fulfilling um, a feeling to finally kind of not feel as restricted in being authentically me. And so um, now um, I guess I would never walk into a men's um, clothing department, for example. <laughs> it just bores me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, in the last sort of year um, I've been kind of um, quite comfortable in the way that I present um, as a non-binary person and feel pretty um, authentic in that sphere. Um, but at the same time, um, I still had these sort of strange feelings around my body um, and felt very disconnected from my body. And through 
a long journey, um, realised that I do have um, gender dysphoria, um, which means that um, I do not feel the body I was born in in terms of my gender matches or my sex matches how I feel inside. And um, that was that was a really, really big thing to mm. um, recognise. Um, and since then I've started hormone therapy um, and, yeah, on a journey to being even more authentically me. I imagine that that journey that you've just described has both been incredibly liberating and also incredibly challenging. And I know that you have shared stories of some of the challenges you've received externally from people, obviously, you know, kind of not accepting that journey or or being, um, you know, verbally abusive, like even in public places. Just wondering if you could share a little bit about some of maybe both ends, if you're happy to share some of the sense of liberation and positive change, as well as some of the things that have been quite, you know, challenging and really not okay in that process. Yeah. I mean, as I said, the, the best part of it has been feeling authentically me. Um, and that is, that is a great, that is a great feeling. Um, and I guess it's a feeling that I hadn't had for a long time because I felt like I had to pretend to be someone I wasn't. Um, and you know, had learned to hate a lot of things that I now love about myself. Mm. Um, but, yeah, at the same time, um, the world doesn't necessarily interpret me in the way that I do, um, and I make a lot of people uncomfortable, I think, um, and the way that um, the world treats me and views me is what makes it really hard to be a non-binary trans femme person um and it's it's hard to identify specific things um because the list is so 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 long Mm. and I guess in a kind of meta way um the world just isn't set up for queer identities um I rarely would get a form that allows me to identify as anything other than male or female um in most instances where a group is addressed it's it's men and women or ladies and gentlemen rather than saying things like people or I read things that say he or she rather than they. Um, and it's just a constant, constant reminder that um, I, I, I guess almost don't exist to a lot of people and that the world doesn't acknowledge me and it's very devalidating. Um, but there are also some, some everyday things um, that happen just in person-to-person interactions. So um, I'd say um, most time or every time I leave the house, um, kind of dressed authentically as how I feel, which is often quite colourful um, and I guess quite feminine. Um, I am stared at and um, gawked at by so many people um, and I have been on the receiving end of, of verbal abuse um, time and time again, um, which is really horrible. Um, I I guess I in a lot of ways, fear going out um, because I don't know what I'm going to receive. I don't know whether I'm going to be um, attacked, whether there's going to be anger towards me, whether it's going to be that I'm seen as a joke. Um, so, you know, not a couple of weeks ago I went shopping um, with my fiancé um, and a father and son um, were literally pointing and laughing at me in the shops um, and when it's, you know, six o'clock and I'm just trying to get some fixings for dinner, um, that's not a pleasant thing to happen. Mm. Um, and a lot of people think that 
me dressing authentically um, is an invitation um, for you know being seen and I and that I guess then people see that I think I see that I'm trying to make a statement but I'm just trying to be authentically me and I actually am trying to blend in and I don't want to stand out <laughs> yeah um so yeah it's it's really uh really difficult um and I guess um as we do more and more research into what it's like to be a trans or gender non-conforming person um we know just how damaging daily exclusion, daily discrimination is. Um, some research um, that I think was done, yeah, in 2014 found that um, 90% or I think it's, yeah, over 90% of um, trans and gender diverse people have considered suicide in response to the discrimination we receive. That's nine out of ten. Um, so, um those things might seem little to some people, I guess, um, but, you know, when you are laughed at, stared at, um, yelled at, um, for a lot of us it's sexual assault, physical assault, um, and that happens regularly, um, it's really hard to maintain a positive outlook mm. on the world, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, um, it's why I think it's so, it's so important to have you sharing your story and I, and I so just want to honour your your courage in in doing this but your everyday courage the fact that being who you are has such a cost to it um is is both very unjust at the same time the fact that you are continuing to be who you are despite that i think is is an affirmation of your strength and resilience and Mm. so uh you know for what it's worth, just my little voice is, is um, both cheering you on and, and also wanting to learn how I can be a part of turning the tide on some of those everyday exclusionary experiences that you've highlighted. You know, they're important to listen to. They suck to listen to, but we need to hear that stuff. Thank you. Thank you for giving me um, a platform. Yeah. yeah, no problem. What do you think the average person listening, particularly, you know, people that aren't queer or, or maybe aren't in relationships with people who are in queer community, communities, I should say, because, you know, we kind of love to group people together, but it's more complex than that. But what do you think, you know, you would, you would want people to take from your story into their future interactions? Yeah, um, I think, um, you know, the most important thing is, I think um, a lot of people uh, see being inclusive to queer folk as a as a as being politically correct, or this sort of um, kind of uh, millennial snow um, snowflakiness, you know, trying to um, dance around all these landmines. Um, but as I said, the reality is that ex- this exclusion um, is I- endangering people's lives, and to choose to be complicit in our exclusion and to choose to um yeah be a part of 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 excluding us um literally um is is pushing us towards our death um which is a really confronting thing to say but um it's true um and we know that for trans um, and gender diverse kids 
if they do not have supportive parents, 57% will attempt suicide. That's over one in two. Mm. Um, that's that's um, worse odds than flipping a coin. Um, but if even one parent is supportive, that number drops to 4%. Wow. So um, being an ally to us literally saves our lives. One of the most um, simple things that you can do um, is to start changing your language. In, when, when there are instances where you might say men and women, you could say people, um, because that includes a large number of people that might feel excluded by the words men and women, uh, using um, the word they instead of he or she when referring to people generally is also very, very um, helpful. It's a very small thing that you can do. Um, and normalising asking people's pronouns is also something that um, is so validating for trans and gender diverse people and helps them not feel like they're um, annoying or inconveniencing people and it really validates their identities. So, you know, whenever you're introducing yourself, you know, Will, you might say, hi, my name's Will, my pronouns are he, him. It's an extra sentence. Some, per some people might look at you strangely, um, but you never know who you're introducing yourself to. You never know who's around and you never know how much of a difference that might make um, to someone. Yeah, so I guess... Um, that's something that is really important for the average person to know about being um, queer. Um, yeah, you don't be a, a part of the machine that that, um, that excludes us. Um, and also surround yourself with voices of queer people um, so that you can understand better what it's like to be um, queer. Um, you know, we all spend a lot of time on social media and following one or two people on social media that are queer can just boost your understanding so um, significantly um, and also I guess being um, receptive to those voices and um, being humble and acknowledging our experiences rather than um, fighting back and trying to deny our experience. Hmm. There's a lot of stuff there that's, that's very simple and it might take a bit of getting used to and it might hmm. take a bit of, you know, cognitive adjustment but like you're saying, um, the, when the impact of what might just seem like one sentence can play a role in, in turning the tide on horrible statistics about suicide and things like that, um, it's, really, it's really worth taking on those little pieces of advice. And even what you're saying about just following one or two people on social media, you know, that's, that's um, in some ways a very passive approach. Obviously, the, the more active approach would be to seek out conversation with people and relationship with people. But it's so true that even just following people like me following you on social media, and obviously we have, you know, a personal relationship, but following you on social media does educate me on a regular basis about a perspective that I don't necessarily relate to personally, but being exposed to it certainly um, gives me more... Um, more room in my mind when I'm thinking through other situations. And so that's a great just practical thing that people can do. And, you know, when we share this episode, maybe you can also share some some links of people that are worth following mm -hmm. or places to begin to get more educated. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you, it's funny when I first asked you, you know, hey, I'd love to chat on Mankind podcast. You're like, mm -hmm. don't, don't you like interview men on that show? And it's very important to me in having a conversation about healthy manhood that affects everybody. And so it's important to me that this is a conversation between men and women, uh, people who are of my generation, our generation, older generations, younger generations. You know, I talk to my four-year-old about this stuff. 
<laughs> and so um, I think it's kind of a table that we need to have all sorts of people at as we work out how our identities impact each other and how we live together in healthy ways. But also one of the things that I guess for me has been a continual realisation is that masculinity and femininity just are uh, categories that don't just fit cleanly onto people. Like nobody is just 100% masculine or 100% feminine. And we all have within us, you know, um, tendencies that would be categorized as, as both potentially. So I was just mm. wondering for you, you know, how do you think about the concept of masculinity these days in a conversation around what healthy masculinity could look like? Are there still aspects of masculinity, maybe even a different kind of masculinity that you identify with while not identifying as male um, mm. or, or not at all? I'm kind of open to just whatever your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I think for me, um, I struggle to see masculinity and femininity outside of gender stereotypes. And when you remove things that sound stereotypical when talking about masculinity or talking about femininity, um, it becomes really hard to define the difference between masculinity and femininity. Um, to say, um, you know, being brave and strong is masculine. I would also say that being brave and strong is feminine yeah, I agree. Um, as well. And so we kind of begin to realise that the line between masculinity and femininity is really blurred and in some ways um, can be one in the same. And the only reason they exist, um, I think, is, is because um, we want to push people into gender into a gender binary, which ultimately to me um, upholds a patriarchy, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, and I guess for me, um, there are things that um, I do or that I'm involved with that I value that some people would um, define as feminine and some people would define as masculine. So, you know, I love makeup. I love dressing um, in um, what people would describe as women's clothes that would be seen as quite a feminine thing. I really look forward to the possibility of chest feeding my um, future children. Um, but, you know, and at the same time, um, there are things that people might, um, that I like to do that people might see as masculine. Like I love traditional American barbecue and getting up at uh, midnight to start um, my smoker barbecue so I can smoke a brisket for 14 hours. And it really pains me to describe these things as masculine and feminine because to me that is so ridiculous. Right. Um, so I guess where I'm at at the moment is that I find it really hard um, to describe masculinity and femininity. Um, I guess I am trying to move away from those terms and just identifying um, with who I am and just being authentically me. Um, and there are always, um, you know, exceptions to the rule. Um, you know, people might say that giving birth um, is a very unique feminine experience, but we know that there are more and more trans men who are deciding that they would like to give birth as well. Yeah, which doesn't really answer the question in a sense. Um, I guess, yeah, I the word masculinity feels quite alien to me just in a gut feeling, sure. and the word femininity feels quite comfortable and safe to me. Um, as a gut feeling, but I can't really expand it outside of that, which is, yeah, yeah. no, that's fine. And it's a very, uh, it's, it's very much speculative and hypothetical territory mm. for me as I think about these words, cause I kind of wonder, will they become more expansive in how we think about them and will we retain them? 
or you know a generation from now like will will my kids just no longer even be interested in in mm. those terms I, I don't know the answer to that i think obviously how they have been used in such binary black and white ways will change i think mm. that's kind of a no-brainer but as somebody who's interested in language you know, I'm always interested in the evolution of language and maybe there's kind of new life that can be breathed into these things. And certainly for me, I think there's there's kind of a, a beautiful thing in considering ideas of soft masculinity or, you know, it's kind of like it's almost subversive, but to actually kind of label it as masculinity when someone is vulnerable or soft. Mm. And then like you've said, to point out and maybe label femininity as incredibly brave, you know, warrior spirit type stuff. Um, maybe, maybe the solution is to kind of ditch the ditch the language, or maybe just just I guess again getting a bit philosophical. But as somebody who studied English and philosophy, I'm interested in words and ideas, and I think very quickly we realize in most conversations that are of any level of depth that language breaks down real quick, mm. and all of our words are kind of have to be have to reach to describe realities that the word is not actually that reality and it's just Mm. trying it's just doing its best (laughs) or sometimes doing its damage but we'll see we'll see that's just a bit of a just a bit of a a ramble for those out there that like to think about these things philosophically i do joke sometimes that when i'm um when me and monica are both older people that um young people will think it's really cute and funny that we have a gender (laughs) maybe identify with with a gender of, of any kind. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I think the question that I do probably find more interesting, I think there's a level of, you know, like gender conversation is obviously important and interesting. But to me, probably the more pressing question is, what does it mean to be healthy? Whoever you are, what does it mean to be whole and uh, functioning and not being, not doing harm to yourself or to others? And so for you, Jack, what does health mean? And, you know, what are kind of the practical things that do keep you grounded, growing and healthy when you're in a good space? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so for me, um, living as authentically, um, as I can has been one of the biggest, most healing, um, things. Um, it has been very, um, freeing and liberating, but as I said, with that comes a lot of pain because, um, the world isn't really set up for people like us. Um, and so I guess a lot of, um, being healthy for me is, um, looking after myself and making sure I take a step back when I need to. So, um, you know, for example, I can be very vulnerable to receiving hate online um, and knowing when to step out of groups or conversations or when to, you know, start un- unfo- when to unfollow a page. Things like that um, are very important for me to remain healthy. Therapy is very, very important. I highly recommend everyone get involved, get into therapy. You can get like 10 sessions a year covered by Medicare. It's not enough, but, you know, it's a start. Um, And just being able to um, speak with um, someone who is not personally, I guess, invested in my life or involved in my life and Mm. being able to just say, you know, this shit has been horrible this week or this month, 
that is very, very important for me um, and really good at, at helping me um, be healthy and just also help me realise more things about myself um, and come to terms with um, things I may not have considered about myself. Another thing that has been very important for me to be healthy is to start hormone replacement therapy um, and to begin to change my body um, in a direction that matches um, how I feel on the inside. Um, that has been a huge step. Um, that has taken a huge burden off my back in, in a sense. Um, I still experience gender dysphoria on a daily basis and will for the rest of my life, but um, at least I kind of feel like I'm walking in the right direction. Um, and another aspect of that has been getting laser hair removal on my face. I never realised just how much of a visual indicator having facial hair was to me um, and how much it made me um, feel like I was um, a man and that's a very kind of social constructy thing and there's a lot of non-binary people who love and embrace their facial hair and I hope that I can one day grow an um, amazing moustache um, whilst still um, living authentically. But for me in this moment, um, doing that has been um, so, so, so healing. Yeah. So it's a few, few things. And these are, I guess, um, probably very different to what a lot of, um, cis and het people, um, do on a daily basis, apart from maybe therapy, <laughs> um, things like hormone therapy, laser hair removal, um, and steering clear of being on the receiving end of regular hate. Yeah. Well, what I hear in that, all of that is an embracing of, of mm. yourself in a way that I just imagine it must feel like, you know, when you take it and you breathe out, you know, you you, you kind of exhale and release, uh, mm. holding on to, you know, a level of tension or struggle. Mm. And, and maybe people can't quite relate to that in terms of the specific situation that you're talking about, but I'm sure people can relate to when they've held on to something that it feels good to let go of. And mm. so in many ways I wonder if that's part of, Part of what you're describing is the the letting go of certain expectations and the embracing of a, yeah. of a, a sense of yeah authenticity seems to be a key key thing that keeps coming through in the yeah. conversation. Absolutely, and I guess one way I can describe the feelings of of kind of being trapped um, in kind of a, a gender binary that doesn't work for you. I mean, imagine if if you're if you're um, uh, a man. Imagine if you were forced to or, or, or forced to go out every day in a dress and full glam um, and woke up and suddenly you didn't have a penis anymore, just how distressing that might actually feel. Um, and that's how I guess I lived my life for 18 years. Um, and if you're a woman, similarly in the opposite way, you know, um, imagine if you were forced to dress like a man and woke up with a full beard, just how much you wouldn't want to go out in the world. Yeah, so, um, you know, being able to, I guess, present authentically um, is is just so freeing and it's a very hard mm. feeling to describe um, when you don't experience it yourself. Yeah, and I think it's worth people, myself included, actually stopping and giving a few minutes of mental space to just sit in the image that you just gave. Mm. You know, I haven't done that, but I think that just even sitting and imagining that would you know hopefully generate within me a little bit more understanding and empathy um, mm -hmm. for that experience that that people like yourself and and many others you know has been a, a just a normal experience that you didn't choose so yeah I just want to thank you very much for sharing your story I am obviously a believer in uh, you know the power of story and the fact that often we are grown and opened up and transformed through story 
and and stats are important and facts are important and information is important, but nothing really quite changes us like hearing real stories. So thanks for sharing yours, Jack. And I'd love for you if you have kind of a final thought that you would want to leave in people's minds, just considering how we wrap up this conversation, what would that be? That's a good question. Yeah, I guess um, I just want to kind of um, emphasise just how helpful being an ally to me is um, and, you know, being one less person staring at me in the shopping centre makes a big difference. Um, and where I am in terms of my mental health at the moment, that is definitely the sort of things that affect me most. Um, and I guess I encourage you to, yeah, just um, if you're a parent, think about how you're um, kind of um, pushing expectations on your children. Um, you know, I remember, you know, parents, there were parents similar, similarly to the story I described earlier where I went to a party dressed as a fairy. There was a party once I actually got to school, similar thing. It was a pirates and fairies party. I went as a fairy because I bloody loved fairies. Um, and some of the mothers actually took my mum aside and, you know, said that I was, you know, uh, that she was, you know, um, doing a horrible thing to me, um, which is which is so ironic because it would be the opposite that would be so damaging. So, yeah, just, I guess, examine um, the way that you behave in the world and, and how you can begin to sort of deconstruct the gender binary that's in your head and allow um, the people around you to be more authentically them. Yeah, yeah. And I guess another thing is if a lot of non-binary and gender diverse and trans folks seem angry, um, I hope that you will understand why um, and don't let that be an impediment um, to um, listening and being an ally. Let that be a motivation. Um, you know, as I've described, horrible, horrible things have happened to me. Um, one thing I didn't mention, I guess, is that um, leading up to our wedding, um, someone in our bridal party decided that they didn't want to support us anymore because I identified as non-binary. Um, and so if I, if I sound a little bit angry and a little bit upset, um, that's kind of the sphere that I'm coming from. And, yeah, I hope that you will see this and listen to my story and take that as motivation to um, change. Um, and at the same time, um, if you know a queer or gender diverse or trans person, um, don't um, make your don't make them responsible for your education. We only have so much emotional energy, and for a lot of people, we are the one trans or queer person they know. Um, and there is a lot of expectations put on us. We're often happy to point you in the direction, but don't be upset if we say, "Actually, I don't have the energy to do this. I can't be responsible for the education of hundreds of people." But there are some great materials out there, and this is how you do it. Yeah, awesome. And in in that light, thank you for the energy that you've given here. It means all the more after hearing that. No worries. I'm happy to um, happy to be involved, and I will be honest in saying it does take up a lot of emotional energy. Um, and I prepared for that, and I, um, you know, um, yeah, I guess um, had to store up that energy to be able to be vulnerable for 45 minutes with you. Um, but yeah, thank you for recognizing that. Yeah, I don't take it for granted. That that's a huge gift that you've given. My name is Noah. I am four and a half years old. I am a builder and an artist and a poet. I like making cool things that I think of sometimes. Some of my favourite things are doing cosmic kids yoga and 
Um, and I love doing painting. I think a good person is fun, and I think a good person has good jokes. I think the most important thing to be is a friend. This podcast has been proudly brought to you by the Central Coast Council and developed by Lead by Story. Help us grow the conversation by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode around on your social media. I'd love to hear from you. What's your experience of manhood in the modern world? Drop me a message on Instagram or at leadbystory.com.au and let's have a chat. Catch you next time on Mankind.